It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb and Isaac. Listen in as they discuss the 1977 film Shockwaves. first maybe not well okay second really yeah the first one was kind of a failed attempt it (laughs) well it was was the early entry and were you doing doctor who at that point nope i was i was tooling around with starting a doctor who podcast when we did the mandalorian pilot shameless plug go listen to his doctor who pilot yeah doctor the crap podcast a lot of the format we'll be using today is what i use on that podcast based off of it fair enough i mean if it if it works why not use it yeah, and I mean, I hope it works. I I don't know about that podcast. <laughs> you know, I think of this the way we're going to do this as how Geeks Not Nerds works. Most of the time, it's the topic of discussion. Uh, yeah, and in, this in topic of discussion happens to be shock waves. Shock waves. From beyond the dead, from beneath the living, from the depths of hell's ocean, everything they touch will die in the deep. Shock waves. Now, the total horror has begun. Now, there is no way out. Now, the ocean becomes a graveyard. Uh, Kind of advertises a Nazi zombie film. That's why I watched it, I guess I should say. So this is another film that I found through the Cool Duder YouTube channel. Years ago, he'd always have my favorite zombie movies or favorite horror movies in general, and this film would pop up all the time. And it took me years before I finally saw it, but it was on my list, because I made this book full of all the movies I wanted to buy when I first started collecting, and it was on there, and a, a bunch of horror films. Most of my early collection was horror films, but... But yeah, so I figured, you know, this one revolves around water quite a bit, so I might as well pop it on the list. And when did you first see this? Uh, it might have been... Maybe... Let me, let me take a look at my disc here. I might actually say... I can't remember if I had bought it when I started doing that. And how many times have you seen it since? Uh, so today would have been my fourth time seeing it. Oh, yes. And a uh, quirky thing about him is that he likes to keep track of uh, when he's seen his movies or when he's watched his movies. Yeah, I've been keeping a movie journal since 2015. And my second viewing of this was in 2016, December uh, 27th. So... Nice. So I probably saw it maybe 2014, or sometime before I started keeping that journal, but so so pretty recent still. Okay. Only within the past six years or so. Anything new you found in this viewing? No, I mean I find my appreciation grows for it every time I watch it. The first time I was kind of disappointed because I uh, I don't know I was expecting more of a zombie movie, 
And it's really not. It's almost more like a slasher, in a way, just with very little emphasis on gore. Again, it's like, uh, it's like Halloween, the yeah. first one. Yeah, that's fair. It's, you know, as I don't know if we mentioned it. It's there's not much gore in it, which is nice. Yep, and these I'm are... surprised it's ra- not rated R because, or it is rated R. Excuse me, it wasn't rated something else. Yeah, and I mean Halloween got an R too, but that was for nudity, I think. And violence. Barely any nudity in this. It says not rated on my disc. Maybe it wasn't rated R. I don't know. Perhaps. Here it could be at least 14A. I'll say that. Yeah, probably. Given there's almost, I believe, no, like, F-words dropped. Yeah. And not really any other, like, foul, like, big foul language or whatnot. I mean... Yeah, not too much. Yeah. So, who directed this film? It's directed by Ken Wiederhorn. I, I saw um, it on the t- in the title. Yeah, before, Ken Wiederhorn, but... I know from only one other film, and that's Return of the Living Dead Part 2. Oh. Um, I'd seen this film prior to seeing Return of the Living Dead Part 2, and I started watching it. I was like, hey, Ken Wiederhorn, he directed that great movie, Shockwaves. And Return of the Living Dead Part 2 is just abysmal. It's a terrible film. <laughs> Should have just stayed dead, basically. Yeah, apparently he wanted to get into comedies after this. And okay. he tried to turn Return of Living Dead Part 2 into like a ridiculous slapstick. And what year comedy. is that one released? Oof. 70s, oh. I assume. Sometime in the 80s. Never I mind. think the first one came out in 86. So that was maybe like 87, 88. 86, jeez. Maybe it was even 89, but. Talk about the zombie train. Yeah, it was going, it was going hard. Really well, let's, let's start, let's begin, sir. So. Yeah, so we begin the film with a little prelude to our story. Uh, we got that little voiceover scene, which I always thought was kind of a curious choice, telling us about the Nazi experimentation, the supernatural, which of course, tons and tons of movies kind of go into that, yeah, and about an elite German squad that fought with no weapons. But then we get that ominous score filling the screen, and we get that awesome logo, which I love, the flashing white shockwaves, I think that's a pretty cool logo. And the grammaton. <laughs> with the, yeah, the swastika down there, yeah, of course. I think it even zooms out from the swastika. But, it does. Uh, Warning just, to any uh, uh, people of epilepsy. Oh yeah, that definitely is a... I, I love that logo though, that's so cool. I love the the score too. Oh yeah, by the way, if you're... Sorry for interrupting you. Oh, go ahead. Um, if you see this, you know, this, this video, not video, but this audio, <laughs> watch the movie beforehand. Yeah, because we're going to be, so, yes, yeah, yeah, this is not, yeah, this is not a say. commentary, <laughs> this is not our traditional commentary if we didn't mention it beforehand, but... It's a review, so yeah, we just exactly. we had just rewatched it. So, post reaction on me on my part. Sorry, continue. Yeah, and just because we get the credits here, I might as well quickly mention some of the folks. Yeah, there you still know. get the credits at the beginning. Yeah, we already talked about Ken Wiederhorn. Not really a fan of that guy, except for this film. Uh, is he American or British? Uh, or sure, I sounds think he's American. Okay. Oh yeah, is this an American film or yep, American? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and he made this film with a buddy of his from Columbia. They went to Columbia Film School together, Ruben Tran, who uh, was the producer but also the cinematographer on this film. And apparently they worked together one more time after this on a movie called King Frat, which I have no interest in seeing because I don't like frat comedies. But <laughs> but it was also written with John Harrison, who turned into kind of a TV director. But I only mention him because he directed the 2003 A in Time TV movie. You ever seen that? Oh, wow, okay. I didn't... Yeah. <laughs> I guess there were more attempts at... No, I, I, sorry, pardon me. I guess there were more adaptations of that book. Yeah, I think that's the Disney's. only other one. But I actually kind of like that TV movie. Brianna showed it to me a couple years ago. 
uh, right before that new movie was going to come out because we were going to go see it. But because then, of course, and but then smart we didn't do that because we were like, yeah, <laughs> there were such bad reviews. So yeah, Ken Wiederhorn, like I said, Return of the Living Dead Part Two. I mean, yikes, a piece of trash movie. Mm-hmm. And then he went on to direct seven know. episodes of the Nightmare on Elm Street TV series, Freddy's Nightmares. <laughs> Have you ever heard of that show? <laughs> what uh, station was that on? Oof, uh, I'm not sure. I can quickly check, though, but I've seen some of those episodes on YouTube. And man, oh, wow. was that okay. a terrible series. I wonder if it's on any uh, streaming services or available on any... Oh, I don't s- think so. ...company stores. I'm not even sure if that got a DVD release. Do you even know if it's on... Well, I'd say digital stuff. I don't even know if it was physical or not. Yeah, because the copies that I watched on YouTube were VHS rips, and they were very poor. Oh, lovely. So it's probably on VHS somewhere. Go scour yeah. eBay or Facebook Marketplace or what, what have you. Yeah, at least on Wikipedia, it doesn't look like it's saying where the what station it aired on. But yeah, Freddy like, played like a Crypt Keeper, and it was like an anthology series. It wasn't even about Freddy most of the time. It's just stupid. Cashing in on, you know, Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, so that's where Ken Wiederhorn went. I mean, that's that's a bit of a shame, but... Uh, but before we get away from the production notes, I just have to call out uh, the composer on this, Richard Einhorn. Uh, and I really like his score for this film, but he also did a great score for a little slasher movie called The Prowler, which uh, people should check out. It's pretty cool. No relation slasher. to the Marvel character. Mm. Who's Miles Morales', Miles Morales' uncle. Yes, that's, that's, that's fair to call out. But. <laughs> but so the film opens up proper with some shots of a rowboat floating along in the open ocean. Uh, and right off the bat, I, I guess you can see why I picked this one. I mean, this movie constantly sounded. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we get some great coverage here with some cool shot choice for the boat. Get some underwater shots, which I liked. Uh, and here we're starting with the end of the film. And already they spoil it for us all by telling us there's only one survivor. Which I'm never really a fan of when movies do that. Yeah, I remember Daredevil does this with uh, the Daredevil Ben Affleck movie. Oh, Starts right, yeah. at the end. Uh, ben Affleck's Daredevil is a lot. Yeah, usually they have the narration like this too. I don't mind the narration here. I think Brooke Adams does an okay job with it. Yep. So as she helplessly drifts along, a fishing boat appears and rescues our lead character, Rose, played by Brooke Adams. Now that's uh, I was going to ask, do you know who that is? Dot dot dot. Um, <laughs> I probably should. It's uh, not not related to Neil Adams nor Atten. Yeah, mm. not, not Neil Adams. I don't know. Brooke uh, Adams. I only point her out because you mentioned this film on the podcast before and saying that you're a fan of it. But the '70s Invasion of the Body Snatchers film. She oh, that's plays, her. Uh, yeah, I, I guess she's not the lead. Oh, that's her. But oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's her. Who also Veronica Cartwright writes in there. Yep, she's in there. Who's not movie. British, or at least is not playing on a British <laughs> accent in that. Yeah, it's confusing because she she's British, but like British American. It's it's confusing. Oh, see, well, there you go. That's yeah, why. Yeah, it's confusing. But yeah, you're correct on there. She doesn't have an accent. I recently saw her in something, and she wasn't very good in it. I wish I could remember what it was, but it's some silly horror movie. But uh, yeah, here we also get the start of the wraparound voiceover that she does. And she, you know, she says that she only starts to remember now. And we cut to a nice transition shot of her saying that, just as she's starting to swim again. Getting some more great water shots, as I always appreciate. I guess this is a good time to mention. Yeah, this film shot on 16mm, which I think is fairly obvious. I mean, it doesn't look great, necessarily, but... I still think we get some good underwater shots, even on the 16mm. You know, sometimes I don't have a problem with the film looking bad. Uh, I wish, actually, more films looked bad nowadays. 
Yeah. But we don't use film now, do we? So. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the problem with 16mm is, like, when you blow it up, it gets so grainy looking and kind of, uh, sometimes when it's black, you can, like, see the light coming through, which it, uh, I don't know, I still appreciate it, but it is kind of a, I don't know, I, I get why low-budget filmmakers want to use digital instead of going back to that kind of thing, but. Obviously, it's not cheap to use anymore, or it's not even cheap whatsoever. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I guess, yeah, cheaper to go with digital, too, but... Film is not cheap. Neither is using models or practical effects. Unfortunately, yeah. So, yeah, after a swimming shot, we jump onto our boat where we meet the rest of our characters here. Uh, there's the three ship hands, starting with the captain here, played by screen legend John Carradine. And you know uh, buddy here, <laughs> John Carradine? Is he in one of the Bruce Lee films? I feel like he was. He's probably not, no. Okay, but I recognize that name. Yeah, of course, he's a father to David Carradine. Yep. Who, uh, maybe in some ways is more known than John nowadays. I know Carradine is, like, that That name struck me as something. Yeah, he had a huge career in the 30s. Um, but he also worked in some studio projects in, like, the 50s and stuff. He was in The Ten Commandments, uh, for example. I think he played Aaron. Oh, his brother. Okay. Yeah, he, he had kind of a central role in that. I just recently, I watched that this year, so... Yeah, he looked way different. I mean, I mean looking, you know, this is, rough seven, this this is 70, <laughs> 77, that was 51? Yeah. I think it might have even been 50. 50. Yeah, and he appeared in some of the Universal uh, Monster sequels, which is fun showing up in there. Uh, he also had a great role in The Howling, uh, Joe Dante's The Howling, great little werewolf film. But yeah, so you yeah, you know you know yeah. he reminds me of he reminds me of more uh, the Morbius actor from uh, Forbidden Planet. Oh yeah, I can see that. I know it's yeah. a different. I know it's a different actor. Yeah, but it just reminds me of that. They have a similar like sounding voice. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. The voice. Yeah. But so he was kind of a get even this late in his career, and he cost them uh, five thousand dollars for the whole shoot. Not the starring guy. Uh, Peter, Cushing, Peter Cushing cost him even more, but they're saying that these two together took up quite a bit of their budget. Mm, I assume so. <laughs> I mean, I hope they're nice. I mean, I know Peter Cushing's like a saint. I don't know about John. Oh, yeah, everybody says he's a saint. And they said that John Carradine was a consummate uh, professional on this. Okay. Even though he's so old, he still like was happy to do takes over and over that's, again. That's nice. That's at least nice that they're, yeah. uh, they're gentlemen, at least. Yeah, and we also briefly see Dobbs, the uh, ship's cook slash drunk, uh, as well as a new addition to their outfit, Keith, played by Luke Halperin. Who played Dobbs? Uh, I, d I forgot to look up who that is, but he really hadn't done anything at all. Okay, and nothing afterwards there, eh? Yeah, I mentioned Luke Halperin because he actually had a bit of a career. He played uh, the lead role in the original film, Flipper, which I didn't even know that that was a remake. <laughs> but not only that, he was also in the sequel to Flipper, as well as in um, 88 episode long series based on that film. Who knew that that was a franchise? <laughs> I don't know what Flipper is whatsoever. Is it a... Oh, you never seen it? Okay, it... wait, hang on. Is it a Free Willy slash Save the Animal movie? Slash oh. Animal Compatriot movie? See, I grew up loving this film. It Because um, I was a big Lord of the Rings fan and it featured Elijah Wood. Oh. And I was also a big Crocodile Dundee fan. Well, and it has... Uh, what's his name now? Is it Paul Hogan? That's his name. You ever, ever seen no Crocodile no, no, unfortunately, I have not. <laughs> yes, yeah, so the two of them are in, are in it together, and I, I love that film growing up. Um, it's probably really terrible now, but I I've never gone back to it. Yeah, so I was shocked doing the research on this to find out that it was a remake. And but what's it about? 
Flipper? Yeah. I don't even remember anymore. All I remember is that at one point, Elijah Wood starts smoking, and Paul Hogan's like, well, if you're going to smoke here, smoke as much as you want, and then he ends up throwing up. And that's when I learned, like, oh, I guess cigarettes can make you sick if you smoke too much. <laughs> okay. It's all my memories, but I loved it as a kid. I probably don't remember anything about Free Willy either. But, though I also wanted to say, I thought that Luke Halpern kind of looked like uh, Boyd Holbrook. Yes! You know what? I could see it. Yeah. If we have a remake of the remake of yeah, Flipper, then Boyd, Boyd Holbrook could probably play him. Yeah, maybe they'll bring it back again. Elijah Wood I still will out. say, maybe I'll... I'll no, never mind. I'll, I'll save it for later. <laughs> You'll probably mention it later That's on. That's fair. So. <laughs> but, but during these early scenes on the boat, meeting the characters, we also cut back to some cool underwater photography, as well as getting back to Richard Einhorn's ominous score coming up. Um, we see some footage of a wrecked sink ship, which is kind of cool. Of course, there was an actual wreck that they were filming at. I think it was in I the Bahamas. So. I thought very much so. Yeah. I'm questioning, not questioning, but I wonder how they got the, when the ship finally comes up, surfaces, excuse me, I wonder how, if that's a model or if that's an actual uh, dilapidated that ship. That was like another wrecked ship. I think that was in Florida somewhere. Uh, I got, okay. I wonder if it's still there to this day. Yeah, some of my notes, I was also drinking wine when I was writing them, and so they got a little bit jumbled. You can see a theme <laughs> here, folks. Yeah, I do my research uh, drinking, and I do my recording drinking, too, so... But after we see the underwater stuff with the wrecked ship, we cut back to our regular ship. And oddly, the sun has fallen behind the clouds and kind of bathes the film in this kind of weird orangey light. But I actually quite like this sequence with the weird lighting choice. It's, it's kind of odd. Is it just a filter or lighting? No, I'm assuming it's just a filter. Okay. It doesn't really make any sense, though, because there, there's not exactly a supernatural element in this movie. Like, it's almost kind of science-based in a way. This, well, they mentioned supernatural, didn't they, in the beginning? I know they, I know they, they mentioned do. superhuman, so they, they feed off of the supernatural forces of the Earth, so I'm like, well... Yeah, but we get some stuff with a ghost ship shortly after this. I do have to question and... that, of like, so... It's not an eclipse, but some strange thing happens with the light. Yeah. And then those guys rise up. Now I'm going to question that of like, how, why? Is it just because they went overhead and they hit their uh, sensory detector or something like that? Yeah, it seemed like maybe they disturbed them just coming over there. But I don't really understand why the sun... I mean, you could have made a blatant like, environmental message if you wanted to or yeah. something like that. Oh, have have <laughs> the, the main lead, she goes down there and touches something at least. Anything like that, at least with Leviathan, if I remember, like... They went into the ship and then, yep. you know, brought the vodka on board. Yep, started boozing it up. And, you know, this... Yeah, nothing, just, literally nothing happens, as far as I'm aware. All they do is pass overhead and then the zombies are like, Hey, what's going on? It's time to rise up our ship. Nazi zombies. Nazi zombies, sure, yeah. But yeah, so even though that scene doesn't really make a lot of sense why the lighting the choice does that... Nor, you know, how they awaken... Yeah, I still appreciate that scene. And moving like on. Score coming in, yeah, kind of moving on from that. But so even though nothing comes from it, uh, we, we cut away later to that night, and we meet two more of our characters, Norman and Beverly. And Norman's, you know, he's kind of having a little bit of a bitch fest. He didn't really like what oh, happened Oh boy, earlier. is he ever. <laughs> yeah, he's flipping out, I guess, that whole... Because I, I, they also heard a weird sound in that scene I forgot to mention. I don't know if you noticed, but... I think I did. Yeah, it's, it's not super clear. Again, it's probably the boat rising or whatnot. The, sorry, the, yeah. the wrecked ship rising freighter, pardon me. 
Yeah, so Norman thinks that clearly that means that something's wrong with the ship and kind of wants him to turn back. Uh, we also quickly meet the last passenger on the ship, Chuck, which um, there's some more confusion with Chuck, which I'll get into in a little bit here. Uh, but we get a dinner scene here where the four passengers and the captain you know, kind of sit around for a nice little evening chat. And Norman, you know, he, he kind of shows himself again to be a bit of the persnickety type. One thing I found, or at sure. least one thing I observed, is that traditionally in some of these stories set on the boat, not in the boat, but like with a couple, you'll have the, the I wouldn't say the nuisance couple, but like <laughs> the couple that always is at odds, perhaps. Yeah, have It's problems. usually the, traditionally the wife that argues and whatnot and is always questioning things. I find Veronica Cartwright's character on Alien kind of reminds me of that sometimes. <laughs> I don't know if she's not married, but in that movie, but like you know what I mean. Yeah, I where get they're you. always at odds with everybody else, and Norman certainly is it this time. So it was very yes. gen- the roles were reversed uh, between genders. He makes a note, by the way. This is one of my notes. Mm-hmm. I, I I wrote on here is he makes a line which I haven't really heard many people mention, honestly a lot of the times it's Titanic like he mentioned yep. Beverly says something about like you know oceans or ships don't sink or something like that and or the, something about the, the crew like obviously if oh yes the crew knows boat. what they're doing it's like yeah. to that to that to the Titanic or something like that and, and I wanted that's to fair. add note of same with all other ocean liners of the tens and twenties, you dolt. <laughs> well, maybe maybe he's not as educated on that. No, he's probably not. But my <laughs> sister <laughs> educated herself on a lot of other oh, ocean yeah, liner sinkings like of the, in in her uh, preteen hood. That's fair. Pardon me. Continue yeah. on, please. Yeah, lots of folks are obsessed with Titanic and yes. stuff back in the day. Uh, but anyway, like I mentioned, he thought that sound earlier meant something was wrong with the ship. And immediately he jumps all over, you know, Captain Carradine's dick, trying to get him to turn the ship around and head home. But the captain, I mean, you know... Speaking of which, he's not even named. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they give him a name. So we will refer to him as, you said, Captain Carradine. Yeah, but he just couldn't give two fucks. And, I mean, he kind of goes off on him and tells him, I'm not going anywhere, and I already spent your money, so you're going to get what you... I like that line. I don't know why. That was was a good line. (laughs) He also is an honest man. He is a very honest man, I must yeah, say. Yeah, it, it struck me as true to what a captain like that would have been. Because their ships are always breaking down. They've always got to repair them. But, so Carradine, you know, he kind of recognizes that the dinner turned awkward. Uh, Norman takes one last grasp to try to get his uh, concerns dealt with. Trying to talk Chuck and Rose to go with him to uh, convince the other two crewmen that it's time to take over the ship. Really. Which, yeah, Maybe they time. explain <laughs> mutiny. Yeah, <laughs> But it's only thought of, not thought of, but it's only shared by one person. Not even shared by one person. It's only, like, started by one person, so... Well, it's it's him against everybody else, basically, basically yeah. so... He'll be so, shanghai later. So, you know, I mean, at least he tried. He's like, okay, well, I've said my piece here, you know, if you got... When it comes I've given to, my money's worth, literally. Exactly. When it all goes tits up, you know, don't come crying to me. Um, and I feel like in this, this kind of character shows up in horror movies all the time. Like, I think... Of, the Doubter. Uh, yeah, Night of Living Dead, for example. What's funny is even though they always come off as dicks, they're usually right. They have... Kind of it's it's always... I don't know what that is with writing, is <laughs> you want the... You want the logical thinker to be a smug uh, jerk face. Yeah, that, that's It's fair. very weird. I don't know why that is. Yeah. Like, maybe. just totally... They could be like, to everybody, I told you so. Like, why do you want to make them that punchable? 
Yeah, to I mean, people. maybe like, maybe it's what? supposed to be like, don't listen to the mass messenger, just listen to the message. Type or the, thing. the 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 mad messenger, basically. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not sure, but, but yeah. So poor Norman, as much as he is a little bitch here, I mean, he is kind of correct, and maybe people should listen to him more. But it's, a, it's, it's his time of the month. What do you expect? Oh, that's horrible. That's horrible. Guys have that every uh, now and then. What are you talking about? <laughs> They're a little misogyny into the podcast. <laughs> misogyny? No, it's, no, it's, it's, it's guy misogyny or whatever you would call it. Um, you know, guys guys do have mood swings. Yeah, I've been pretty moody this week with all my new work well, that's, stuff. That's a little God different, damn. though. That's, God that's, damn. That's, that's a little different. <laughs> this has been the day drinking week for me. <laughs> but anyway, after this scene, we get a montage of all of our groups of, group of buds taking a little nap. and uh, But old Brooke Adams... She's feeling a little bit restless, so she heads up to the, uh, what do you call it? The bow? The bow? Yeah, there you go. I, I didn't know what to it. It ain't the poop deck, I don't know that for a fact. <laughs> she has a chat with Keith, who, uh, I think they mentioned his name early on, but you Oh, said, not the bow, no, she goes up to, um... Wherever the pilot wheel is, the ship's wheel. <laughs> Showing my ignorance. <laughs> Showing my idiocy here. Oh yeah, I was gonna say with uh, the captain and Keith kind of going at each other early on. Were you feeling some? Uh, was it reminiscent to you and the the captain? <laughs> oh yeah, some <laughs> most of the time, yeah. It doesn't take a good looking guy. It just takes a navigator and some bullshit like that. So I should have written that exchange down. Maybe no, not often in. of the times we have a sail <laughs> ship, not a. Well, we do have. What am I saying? We have the motor oh, on there as well. But we don't. Uh, we don't have a, a sail wheel. Pardon me. Yeah, and it's in this scene that Keith reveals that their compass has been out most of the day, as well as their radio, and really has no clue where they are, which would be pretty concerning if I was a, a passenger. I don't know why, but the compass just reminded me of that scene from Castle in the Sky when they're in the Goliath? No, not oh, the Goliath. it's been a while. Dang. No, last time I saw it, it, was something, it was something biblical, I know that for a fact. Yeah, it's been too long. I, gotta, we gotta, I can't wait to do that movie, that movie's... Visually just stunning. That'll be years from now, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Probably a while, yeah. Uh, but down below again in the ocean deep, uh, that old sunken ship starts to stir once again. And this time it actually decides it's time to get its old sea legs back, and it rises again. Uh, Keith starts to hear a weird sound, and moments later a ghost freighter bears down on them. You know, and wide. plus, you know, a few hundred yard not yards, a few... Uh, no, I'm sorry, 100,000 nautical uh, yards away, miles, sorry, my, nautical miles away, uh, around where, what was the town in the fog called again? Oh, what was that? Havenport? No, not Havenport. Well, anyway, the town, the town in the fog, uh, a bunch of drunk sh fishermen experienced another ghost ship. <laughs> That's funny. Antonio that's Bay, one. that's it. Antonio Bay, you're correct on that. So, <laughs> another ghost ship approaches. Yeah, the, I think I even mentioned that, that another ghost ship would pop up in this. But um, but I love how much of a dick <laughs> Captain Carradine is here. I mean, he's just such like an old crusty sea dog. He's immediately like, ah, you didn't crash into anything. Like, ah, go to bed, everybody. Yeah, same would be said by the, you know, <laughs> captain who hit the iceberg. <laughs> Actually, he wasn't even on duty, allegedly, I believe. He's oh, going really? by the movie. Drunk. Yeah, it's was, he so wasn't drunk, but that. he was. I think he was seeing to his crew. Not crew. Mm -hmm. It was either crew or the passengers. His passengers, That's excuse fair. me. And he has a funny line here where he says they didn't hit anything but a school of canned tuna. That was kind of a That's line. disgusting, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Captain Carradine again tries the radio and finds it isn't working. 
And he, he just gets pissed off and tossed it off the ship. <laughs> Almost uh, taking out poor Chuck here. Yeah, that's not exactly yeah. what you would want to do. You just wait for the radio. Well, either it is an actual electronic breakdown or supernatural uh, interference. Yeah. I'm going to go with supernatural, supernatural interference. Yeah. Again, so you should have just kept the radio the whole time. But yeah, Again, I don't really know if that makes sense with the rest of the movie, but... Listen, I, unfortunately, we're just going to have to assume that it's there's supernatural parts to yeah, the exactly. science-based movie, so... What else can you do? Yeah, and, and Dobbs comes over and he shines the ship's light around. We get a nice little shot of Chuck walking around in his tighty whities which is, uh, you know, a little bit fun there. Uh, the captain fires off a flare, and we get a really cool shot of the wreck. Yes. With the uh, flare coming down, lighting it up. Now, is that in a... Sim well, first off, where was this filmed, by the way? Um, it filmed in a bunch of different places. I can believe that. Uh, around Florida. Near where that areas. ocean liner is. Yeah, yeah around there. Uh, there's another funny little thing I'll tell you about in a little bit about yeah, where they yeah, of course. shot all the ship stuff, which is cool, but I'm not sure where that sunken ship was. Of course. Might be. I assume they were on that you know site at night and then shot the flare in there. Yeah, yeah. That was really cool. That was that was very good. Oh, uh, I actually did write in a different note here. The, uh, the ship was actually a sunken ship in uh, the Bahamas. Ah, uh, the Bahamas. Yeah, I think in the behind the scenes they said they got rid of it a few years after they filmed this. Uh, good, but at least they, you know, made yeah. use of that uh, iconography, which is good. Yeah, it was a really cool looking ship. They got some really great shots out of it. I also like the score coming in that scene. The score is like almost omnipresent in this. It's always playing in the background. But so the next morning we find out that the captain's gone missing, which again, <laughs> not a great sign. And on top of that, the ship got damaged during the crash, so it's no longer safe to stay aboard. Uh, lucky for them, the ship came resting near an island, which, you know, seemed a little convenient uh, at Again, first. Supernatural is making it convenient, just remember that. But but it is explained later that Peter Cushing sunk it near that island, so that he'd have somewhere to escape to. Of course. So it is explained, but... Do you know what the... what? I know I asked what where it was filmed, but do you know where it's supposed to take place in the No, universe? I don't think they ever okay. say... Yeah, so our intrepid heroes head off to that island. And, and once they land ashore, pardon me for interrupting, yep, there's no, like, diegetic drums anywhere or nope. anything like that. <laughs> not this time, no. Nope. Would have been useful maybe to ward off these zombies, but... Perhaps. I don't know, it didn't work in that <laughs> film, so... <laughs> That's true. Why did it work in this film? Oh, but before we leave the boats here, I, I should just quickly mention, uh, there's a great little piece of low-budget filmmaking behind all the boat shots in this movie. So they're working with a really shoestring budget, as I mentioned. Do you know the budget? Yeah, it's about twenty five hundred thousand. And what they profit off of? Did I say twenty five hundred? I meant two hundred fifty thousand. Sorry, thousand. <laughs> yep. Uh, it it reached a pretty big profit, but I think it took them a little while to make it. Kind of probably did. So in order to save money, they opted not to rent a second boat to film on, and instead they shot on a location pretty close to land in Florida called Stiltsville. You ever heard of it? Nope. Yeah, it's like a bunch of sand flats, I think about a mile offshore. And there's like uh, all these houses that are propped up there. It's a historical site now. You're going to have to do some good camera work to avoid all those being in the shots. Yeah, I think they were standing in front of the houses, but they were just like, they perched all their equipment in the mud just so they can film like without any sort of land in the background, but without really having to go too far off. Smart. You got to do what you again, have to do. Exactly. Low budget filmmaking, you know, got to find your little tricks but anyway so the three folks who got to the island first go searching for the captain and chuck decides that he wants to practice his tarzan routine starts climbing up a tree he's literally just you know 
tree climber this movie. <laughs> yep, yeah, he's all over the place there. Uh, but this turned out pretty lucky for the group as he spotted a building off in the distance. But still coming over, the last three members of Keith, Beverly, and Norman uh, are heading over on the rowboat. And of course, Norman is still being the bother that he loves to be and has a rather scathing Yelp review when he says these people haven't the slightest idea how to boil water, let alone sail in it. Which again, I thought was a funny line for him. And unfortunately for them, it's during their little trip over that they make a startling discovery. Uh, at the bottom of their boat, they've got a little kind of looking glass type peephole thing in the base of their boat. And as they're going along, they pass over the corpse of Captain John Carradine. Just sad for him. Remember that if you're not, not watching the movie and just listening to this, not, not watching it, or having not watched it. Oh, the little looky hole yeah. thing? Yeah, exactly, yeah. This is almost uh, like a... It's not frame by frame, but it's <laughs> certainly going through the plot. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, that's Chekhov's uh, peephole thing. Now, it's actually, I have a note here saying, here uh, by the way to Isaac... So you spend more time around boats than I do. Have you ever been in a boat with one of those? No, I've not. Me neither. I have not. Me neither. Uh, I know that certain boats have that, but all I could think of was the awful, awful, awful commercial uh, with Flex Seal. Oh, do they use that in there? Yeah, they use that, and they have a hole, drill a hole in there, and then he's supposed to just demonstrate how good the boat will be. He puts Flex Seal over it and whatnot, so I kind of immediately thought of that. I feel but like I, there was a Scooby-Doo that used one of those at one point. Okay. I was trying to think which one. I, I think it was one of their direct-to-video movies. No, it's not it. Okay. Uh, but, uh, this shot was actually shot in uh, cinematographer slash producer Ruben Tran's pool. <laughs> and if you look, I didn't notice it until... Oh, man. <laughs> I didn't notice it until the viewing when I uh, wrote my notes here. You can actually see, like, a little chair... That I guess one of the crew members was sitting on or something because they were holding him down. So I mean, again, low budget filmmaking. You it's know. like it's like <laughs> in Escape from New York where when Adrian Barbeau's character dies on oh, the yeah. uh, New York bridges, <laughs> the shot of her on the lying dead on the ground is just in Carpenter's garage, I believe. Yeah, it's a great story. Yeah, you know, in Terminator, there's a scene with a body bag and it was just uh, uh, James Cameron's suit. Um, what are, they, what are those called? Oh, yes, one of the, the suit bags. <laughs> suit bags, there you go. That's yeah. not what it's called, but I'm just calling it that. <laughs> yeah, again, low-budget low filmmaking, you know. <laughs> uh, but after bringing the body to shore, our group decides to head off to that building that Chuck spotted earlier, uh, which appears to be an old hotel when they get there. But back at the site of the sunken ship, more strange goings-on continue to go on, and we get some more cool underwater shots. And a shaky cam. Yeah, a little bit of shaky cam, yeah. It's probably pretty hard to hold the camera. I, I was actually going to mention, I'll quickly scroll up. So I mentioned this film was shot on 16mm. Yeah, and they were using something called an Eclair ACL, which was actually a really small 16mm camera, which was great for their production because it allowed a lot of great um, underwater stuff without a giant rig, which is what usually they would have had to use for that kind of thing. So we get some cool underwater shots, and we get the first glimpse of our Nazi foes with one of the more cool shots of the film. Uh, we start with only seeing him from the leg up as he walks along some sunken structures. But eventually we get a full body shot of the zombie walking around in the reefs, which I love. I love all that stuff. It is a good shot, yes. Yeah, and they actually... <laughs> that, that was actually shot with Ruben Tran in one of the zombies with um, filling their pockets with lead to weigh them down. Ah, smart. I was wondering, I was wondering how they were weighing them down. Yeah, and uh, those goggles that they used, they actually couldn't see out of them at all. So they would just leave... Makes sense. 
they would just leave his little oxygen tank a little bit further back, get him to walk. Then Ruben Tram would give him some of his oxygen. They'd have to like go back and try to find the other tank. So I'm sure that took them a while. But and the well, goggles didn't have like a two-way mirror. No, no. And I'll be honest. I thought because Cushing stars in this movie, I assumed initially it was just one of these superhuman Nazis. No, oh, okay. But no, there's actually many slash all of the superhuman uh, yeah, quite a Nazi, few. Zo- uh, Nazi zombies, really. Uh, and I thought he was one of them, but not really. And I guess since we're talking about him, this is a good time to mention this. Um, so we saved zombies because, I mean, they, they kind of refer to them as zombies in the extra material, and they kind of look like zombies. But again, this is made pre-Dawn of the Dead, and they're not really zombies, exactly, in the way that we think about them now. I mean, I, I guess they're living dead, but... I said that one, one way they experimented on them was they got them to a state between life and death. Yeah, it seems kind of like so that. So it's not yeah. outright killing, but again, it's one of those in-between scenarios, I'd say. Yeah, and it's weird, because later on in the film, we it almost seems like they die, but then it seems like they come back again, too. So it's a little... I mean... Uh, in, in most zombie terms, they're like... Catatonic actually... regeneration, perhaps? I have no idea. Yeah, it's interesting. We'll, we'll talk about more of that as we go along. <clears throat> but anyway, to get back to the plot, so we jump over to the hotel, and our group is doing some exploring here. Uh, Chuck and Dobbs check out the kitchen, and they find a fish tank with an angel fish in it and some other little guys floating around. Um, for some reason, they seem kind of disturbed by this. I don't really understand why. Yes, yeah, just an angel They're all like, oh, like, what's going on? Like, I was like, oh, what? <laughs> But that's Chekhov's fish tank, so, you know, like... And, uh, nearby it is another Chekhov. Oh, yeah, (laughs) Chekhov's. Chekhov's fridge is also in that room. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. I thought when he... I thought when, uh, Bum... Not Bum, Dobbs. Dobbs, yeah. Uh, when Dobbs looks in the fridge, I thought there was gonna be, like, big packs of meat or something like that in there. Yeah, I mean, they could have... I thought, I literally thought there was going to be, like, food in there. I was like, oh, wow, that's what that was. And then he just looks in there and is surprised. I'm like, it's a meat locker. What do you expect? You know, I was thinking about that island. It it looks pretty old school. It's probably, like, something that was around, like, World War II, and maybe they ditched it after the war. I mean, who knows? It looked pretty old school. It's Um, not the hotel from Porco Rosso. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's fair. I kind of see some of that in the architecture of it. Uh, even though that's Italian-based, this was, I believe, Spanish-based. Yeah, that's fair. Perhaps. It's a fair distinction. Uh, but for the rest of our group, their exploration gets interrupted by a record player going off and playing some classical music. Uh, what? Did you, did you happen to look up what that I didn't, piece was? I, I don't even know what that piece was. Me I mean, either. <laughs> I don't know if we could use our phone's uh, music. Yeah, Shazam or whatever. Shazam or anything like that to look it up. Yeah. That'd be kind of funny if it was, because I don't recognize that piece. It sounds familiar, I'm a but... classical music aficionado. Yeah, I like classical music, but I'm not a aficionado by any means. Uh, but like Moss to a Flame, they all gather around the record player, and here's where we're introduced to our old buddy, Mr. Peter Cushing. And the star of the show. The star of the, yeah, the leading actor, apparently. Surprising or at least we get introduced action. to his voice, I should say, as we uh, he asks them some questions mysteriously from an unseen location. Uh, the group explained a little bit why they're there, but old P. Kush gets a little on edge when they say that they hit a wreck. Uh, he comes out of his little hidey hole to ask some more questions about it, including its name. 
they respond that it was pro something and Cushing latches onto that and you know sets him off and he just takes off go do some uh, exploration of his own getting on the beaten path to find out his own answers I'm surprised though I'm surprised so he's a Nazi yes why isn't he murdering these people well that's the big question like he's a Nazi well, well, we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to his, his okay. explanation okay. scene. Okay, okay. But for now, we get some shots of Cushion running around. Uh, we get a close-up of his face revealing that huge scar he's got. Yes. Also kind of seeing, I think I mentioned this in our Star Wars commentary, that his wife had died um, oh. around 75, which is when they shot this film. And he lost a ton of weight at the yes, time. Yes, he looked very, very, very yeah, slender. skeletal. Yeah. So I mean, he probably wasn't in a great emotional state when he filmed this. But I hope he, uh, I hope he bulked up eventually. Uh, I'm not sure if he ever really gained the weight back. He was always pretty thin until he, until he died. I mean, he looks like a slender individual, anyways. But I, I still hope that he got yeah. to better levels at some point. But when does he pass away again? Uh, I think it was in the '80s. Okay. Yeah, maybe mid '80s. Um, but we also get a really cool shot here when he's running around of a zombie's reflection in the water, and it turns and looks at the camera and starts walking towards it. I thought that was a really cool bit of composition there. Uh, but we cut back to the hotel, and um, our group is holding themselves up for the night, and here we get what is probably one of my favorite moments in the film. So it's the next morning, and we get a shot of the, re- of the wreck standing in a sunbathed shot, and we see several shots of zombies laying under the water in the rocks. And then we start to see them rise, one after the other. Uh, we also get a really cool side shot of them standing up and walking in a line towards the shore. Uh, I just think that's some awesome stuff there. I mean, that's kind of the iconic stuff in the movie for me. Dead shall rise. Or the dead arise. Uh, but also that next morning, Dobbs decides that he's going to head back to the beach to get some supplies. I wasn't exactly clear where he was going to get them from, though. I mean... Well, I assume they left most of their luggage where they left the dinghy. Yeah, but so, were they bringing over, like, their food? Like, how many trips were they making? I kind of thought it was just two trips, but... I don't know, but that's... Yeah, either way, we, we never find out, because this is where he meets his end. Because as he's walking along the stream, we get another kind of creepy shot of a zombie peeping at him from the tree line, or Dobbs actually sees him. And the zombie starts moving towards him. So that was kind of a creepy moment. We have those shots in horror every now and then. Yep. Dobbs starts to back away from this unknown stranger, and unbeknownst to him... As he's backing away, we get a shot of some sea urchins sitting in the water, and the zombie moves into the stream just as Dobbs steps onto the sea urchins and falls face first into one, which looked pretty painful. Get a big old bunch of quills in his face. Now, I don't know if that would kill somebody. Ah, I think they're poisonous. But they are poisonous, so that's the... It's not the quills that would immediately kill him, it's the poison in the quills that would kill him. He did get one right into the side of his face, so maybe right in the temple. You're right near the brain, so that's bad news for you. So I don't know whether or not the trooper or the soldier uh, grabbed him and uh, just drowned him or just Probably just stood over him and stared with that leering look that they got the whole movie. (laughs) Indeed. But the sea urchins, by the way, were actually put together by Ruben Tran's wife, uh, and they were just made from painted pipe cleaners. So that's why you could just step on them and yes, no damage. <laughs> but they look pretty convincing. I mean, not be actual animals harmed in the making. That's, 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 that's but it's still the seventies, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anything was harmed. There's not really many animals in this except for that little fish. Yeah, that little tank. 
Uh, but after that painful looking scene, Keith is still walking around in the hotel, uh, checking out some more of the rooms, and he happens to spot Peter Cushing re-entering the hotel. He runs off to meet him, and Cushing's got a little bit of a different tone this time around. He's a bit more friendly, a bit more talkative. Uh, he has kind of a funny line where he says, uh, it was the most unfortunate time for them to visit, and they must leave immediately. I was like, uh, is he like crazy now? But um, he's got a small boat that they can use, so they should, you know, get out of there pretty quickly. Oh, I would be remiss to say that I think Chuck, tree climbing Chuck, mentions Cushing, or at least the unseen Cushing, uh, in his initial scene being uh, referred to as a hermit. I'd like to, even though this, as you said, came out a few months after Star Wars, yep. I'd like to think that's a funny, retro, retroactively looking at it, it's a funny little uh, note of the fact that Cushing would have loved to be Obi-Wan. Oh, okay. I, be- oh. I believe he... I either tried out for the role or wanted to be in the role, but he... Oh, interesting. It, it basically would have meant he would have come back because he would have loved to play more uh, of Star Wars. Yeah, I think he appreciated being in that film yeah. quite a bit. But anyway, <laughs> and, he, and he certainly deserves it, let's put it that way. Yeah, Cushing also warns him that there's dangers in the water, uh, but unfortunately Rose didn't get that memo as she's just about to jump into the water and do some swimming, which some more cool water shots as, you know, I love my water shots. Uh, but it's during her swim that she finds Dobbs' corpse covered in the urchin spines. Uh, and as they're dragging out the corpse, they also find an SS badge uh, pulled off into his corpse hand. Probably taken off from maybe the sea urchin. I have no idea. Uh, maybe the zombie grabbed him up because he didn't realize that he got sea urchin in the face so Perhaps. he wanted to kill him. They don't have much time to ponder this as Keith stands up and immediately notices two of the zombies watching them from across the water. Yeah, it did give away right there. Yeah, staring over like a couple of creeps. Uh, they go to explore the hotel some further, trying to find Cushing, and come across his little Nazi room here. Um, there's a big swastika flag in the middle of the room, Yep. and also a bunch of mirrors so that you can get the swastika in almost every shot, which I thought was a good bit of composition, but... <laughs> Do you get the symbolism or the meaning yet? Uh, they show Cushing the SS badge and tell him about Dobbs dying. They ask if he killed him, and he basically takes credit for it. Uh, so now we get a little bit of indirectly here. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. He does seem to feel some guilt for his part, at least to some degree. It's hard I think to really he's, say. In in this, well, I guess finish what you're saying, but like in this exile, what do you say? Voluntary exile. Yeah, voluntary exile. Do you think he realized that the at war efforts were a waste, perhaps? Or the whole Nazi party was a waste and or a stupid idea from the start. It's hard to say about that part, but he definitely does seem to regret creating those uh, superhuman beasties, yeah. whatever they are. And that could be because they turn on it. Did the perfect soldier turn out to be kind of faulty as they're killing their own dudes? This is true. But, that, that, um, was, that is something. Yeah. I don't know. I, I immediately say, like, why doesn't he kill everybody, but know if nazis would kill every well I, you know i have no idea yeah it could just be that he like he said he's there you know like any other jedi you know involuntary exile jedi <laughs> just because they all go into exile you no, know that's fair, yeah. <laughs> but so maybe maybe he's just like just leave and this is kind of my tomb here with my creations i mean that's kind of the sense i get mm-hmm. uh, but so our group of buds they find the story pretty hard to believe and Cushing, you know, he doesn't really give a fuck if they believe it or not, so he just cocks a gun and tells them, you know, leave my hotel. Pulls out a Luger, by the way. Yeah, Luger. Which, keep an eye on that Luger, because 
I think it comes back in the film in a way that I don't really understand, but we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll see. So our heroes head over to fetch the boat Cushing mentioned earlier, and Cushing goes searching around to round up his ex-underlings. Rather quickly he spots them uh, standing across the water by uh, a tree line, and he calls out to them. We get kind of a creepy in German, shot. In German. In German, yeah. We get kind of a creepy shot here with them disappearing into the water with that creepy score coming in. Oh, I completely forgot. I f- I'd be remiss to mention that Cushing brings back his uh, German accent he had in Beast Must Die. Yeah, Ruben Tram was saying on the, the day he showed up, he was like, yeah, Cushing, you know, this guy's a complete professional. He's already got his German accent ready. Barely need to give him any direction. He just knew exactly what he had to do. Like, I mean, that, that kind of actor you bring in is kind of worth the I money. I wonder if his accent is actually based off of a person he knew. Also, our gang, you know, they finally take that advice probably rather freaked out by the whole Nazi thing. I think I'd be pretty freaked out <laughs> if I discovered I was on a boat with, uh, or on an island with an exiled Nazi. Uh, so they prepare the boat and they take off. Actually, I'm surprised they didn't murder him. Uh, That's a whole other thing. Like, why didn't they just murder him for pit sakes? Uh, maybe they're not murderers. They just, they were just Fair vacationers. Enough. Oh, that's another thing I wanted to mention. I guess I'll mention it right now. So, I don't really understand the whole Chuck and Rose thing. Are like, are they together? Did you get that sense? Or were they just individual passengers? I think they were just individual passengers. I, 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 you're right. When we have the dinner scene, I thought they were both together. I assume yeah. they were. And then they never are. So, I think it is just solo for each of them. And she doesn't even... Not that there's a lot of character development in this story, no, but not at all. <laughs> actually, yeah, it's zero whatsoever. <laughs> but we don't get anything about, even in her narration, beginning or end, spoilers, uh, that she has any feelings for Chuck. No, not Other at all. Other than she's a pa- or they're both passengers. Yeah. So I just assume they're not together. Yeah, so I thought that was a little confusing at, at times. There's an, another time when she, like points out that he had like a long day and she like looks over him kind of i thought it was longingly but i didn't really know i have no idea (laughs) but just before they're about to go away on the boat old norman you know he's being a little bit of a silly brain again Uh, he's got all of his luggage prepared and ready to go even though the boat clearly looks like it's not even going to be able to fit all of them his wife beverly calls him out in it and he tells her when he wants her opinion he'll ask for it oh jeez. yeah norman that's abusive yeah, he's not exactly the best at endearing himself to an audience. Even if he's correct some of the time, I mean, he's still just kind of a prick. Uh, but Chuck sees him with all his stuff and asks if he's taking the bags or him. And Norman, he nice. gets kind of mad and just throws the bags away in a little temper tantrum. Why did, I, so why did I have to be written like this? <laughs> well, I mean, the actor plays it pretty well. Oh, no, yeah, of course. Well, yeah, the, as a used car salesman. Yeah, and that guy uh, also didn't appear in like anything else but this. Yeah, he reminds me of that one character in the video game Grand Theft Auto V, Lester, I think. He just looks like Lester, let's put it that way. Yeah, you know, I don't think I ever played that one. I think the I think four was the last one I played. Is five any good? I didn't play it. Oh, okay. I just watched <laughs> like uh, I watched playthroughs of it. That's and fair. And Lester shows up and yeah, no, I just was reminded of him. Yeah, so Cushing, he's continuing to explore around, looking for his death core, or totem core, I think he calls them. Uh, that was totem, ten core, excuse me. Yeah, it's a little hard to, I'm not the best at pronunciations, but but they end up finding him instead, uh, stalking him through the jungle as he's running around. And he takes a little rest, clearly looking pretty tired, sits down to have a drink. 
Uh, but laying into the water is one of the zombies, and it pulls him in for a forever swim. And that was surprising to me. I was very surprised that they killed the lead immediately. Yep. Yeah, because again, I mean, he's top build, but he's not exactly the lead. He's just... I have a problem with that in, when it comes to casting and whatnot. I think, Ro- credits. I think I think Rose should have gotten top building, but that's just me. It's the same thing with Alien. I don't think Weaver is mm. mentioned first, so and that is fine. But yeah, I guess I should mention since I mentioned Carradine's uh, wages for this film. Yeah, Peter Cushing worked for five days and he got a total of twenty five thousand uh, dollars. And they said plus paying his lodgings and his airfare. Uh, Cushing ended up being 10% of their overall budget. Oh, he got his airplane ticket for free. Sweet. Yep. <laughs> Is that there and back? Uh, yep. And uh-huh. I think they said he had a car, too. So 10% of their budget for Cushing. I mean, that's quite a bit. It is but quite a bit. It's probably worth it. I enjoy Cushing in this film, even if he's not there for very long. Uh, but back with our group from Gilligan's Island, they've got the ship floating, and we get a pretty cool shot of a zombie walking around in the murky water. Looks like they escaped. Gilligan's Island successfully as one of them do. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's fair. Oh, but man, I, I love all these underwater scenes. This stuff, even in the murky water where you can't see too much, I still think it looks really cool. We unfortunately don't get one of the soldiers fighting a shark. Unfortunately we don't, but I mean, we, we can't all be... But that's, you know, a few, <laughs> maybe actual 100 nautical miles away. Yeah I, th- yeah, I think that was in Mexico, yeah. Exactly, so, well, well, who knows. Yeah, and all this swamp stuff was shot in a swamp in Florida, so... I Makes mean, sense. Yeah, quite a bit of ways, but... Um, but I really... One of the things I love about this section here is the location that the boat's in. Uh, they have all these kind of almost bone-like looking trees around. Uh, in my notes, I describe it as a river through an elephant's graveyard. Which, I don't know if you can see that, but... Like a reference to the Lion King, or... <laughs> no, that's just what I thought it looked like, apparently, when I was Well, when we notes. first got to... <laughs> when we first got on the island, I saw trees, well, obviously. Yeah, but they didn't trees. look like palm trees. They didn't look even like tropical trees. They looked like evergreens. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed that, and I was like... You, you heard me go, like, what the f***? Well, the boat, or the, the beach there was in the Bahamas, so I think it'd be tropical trees. It would be, but the initial ones didn't look like they were palm trees, or the like. Hmm. Uh, but eventually they get out of the island area and they set up their sail. It all seems to be going well, but before they can really reach a stride, they hit a mud bank. They got beached! <laughs> yeah, they get real screwed here. You don't like getting beached. And they all jump out to try to push it over the mud and Rose hops in to guide the rudder. Is this it? Is this the end of the movie? No, that's... Is this how, is this how it's supposed to happen? That's what one might think. Uh, but Beverly, she ends up slipping and falling off. And a bunch of zombies standing nearby watch them, uh, looking fairly creepy. The others run back to get Beverly instead of pushing the ship as they should have done. And Chuck pulls out a gun, and that's where I'm confused. Actually, where, where do came you get from that out of nowhere? And it looks similar to the Luger that uh, Cushing had. I mean, I I don't understand what happened there. Maybe he swiped it from him. I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't think you would have ever had the chance, but <laughs> unless we didn't see him. Yeah, maybe it was a maybe there was a cut scene. Okay. You, well, actually, yeah, were there any cuts or deleted scenes in this movie? Uh, not that I saw in the... So, in-universe, he got the gun behind the scenes. Maybe he maybe he always had the gun. Maybe he was a gun fan. And that's a whole other thing <laughs> we have to ask ourselves, but... Yeah, and so uh, uh, Rose ends up getting knocked out of the boat by the sail, and the boat heads off without them. And uh, so that's another 
kind of failed start for them escaping the island. Uh, Norman and Rose get back to the Skull Forest, heading for the hotel, and Chuck and Beverly are paired up, running in a similar area. And again, I, I just love all these locations. I mean, the ground is covered in water, which I always appreciate. And they're surrounded by these white, kind of skeletal-looking trees. Just, just a cool location, I think. But anyway, Norman is running a bit too quick, and Rose gets left behind. Uh, he ends up getting killed by a zombie. I thought this death was kind of underwhelming a little bit. I mean, it was underwater. What do you expect? <laughs> well, there's there's some cool underwater deaths, but... There's only so many ways you can, you know, kill somebody underwater. That's fair. Now, how does he die again, sir? Oh, he's just walking, and a zombie shows up behind him and pulls him under the water. Like I said, quickest way. Like, pretty easy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's efficient. I'm satisfied by it. I don't know. I'm, I'm, that, that's fair. I, I think it's smart. If you have these... And the thing about... Sorry, I don't know if we go into the if we talked about it but the, the what these zombies are these soldiers were oh yeah uh, they were it. we kind of I don't know if we mentioned this before no. but it's they were designed to be adaptable in any environment or climate and so you can have them be in the Russian de- tundra or the African desert and they'd be fine and so this was it now I thought I, I mistaken Cushing's line, not lines, but his, if he said whether it was all of them can do that or specifically only some well, of them designed. Designed, yeah. Okay, so he said that his group was specifically designed for water. Yep. In particular, so they could be in submarines without oxygen, things like that, so they wouldn't be detected. Makes sense. I like that idea. That's a cool idea. I don't know if we, I don't know, not, not so much the Nazi zombies, but this environmental soldier idea. I don't know if we've used that again in any media since no, or before. I, I can't really think of anything. Probably has existed. I can think of like stormtroopers maybe being kind of designed that way. Where you have the sand troopers, you have uh, the jungle troopers, you have the snow troopers. I can see space troopers existing as well. Obviously TIE fighter pilots and that's pilots and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I like the idea that these all these these soldiers, all they have to do is just grab somebody and drag them underwater. Yep. In in an era where you would just see like neck snapping and whatnot, yeah, it's surprising just to see they and it's, yeah, and stabbing as well. It's literally just nope. We're gonna just pull you underwater and that's it. Yeah, I think every single death is water related. It is water related, yes. And again, that this is probably my best pick in terms of fitting the theme because is, is almost this, always is this peak water. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of water in the last peak one. Peak water think, usage, excuse me. Yeah, I think this is. It's almost every. Scene. I'm surprised. I think if this were spoofed by uh, some comedy team, they'd probably have it so that somebody gets their head dunked in like a pitcher of water or something like that, or a coffee cup. Or mug or something like that. Well, I mean the the fish tank death is almost the parody. That's what that's what I mean. Of <laughs> yeah. like going from there, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. So so Rose she gets back to the hotel after Norman's dead, uh, and she's immediately besieged by several zombies. Uh, one of them even grabs her, and she manages to yank off its goggles, revealing a weakness for our zombies here. Uh, we see that its face is you know pretty fucked. Um, it's instantly blinded by the sunlight. Although it doesn't really have any eyes, I thought that one. Uh, we do see one of the, the later one that has yeah. goggles taken off. We do see his eyes clearly, and yeah. I like I like this. Uh, I 
it's it's funny they don't explain it which is nice but no. I I understand it easily it's because certain aqu- aquatic uh, wildlife or certain aquatic li- life forms pardon me have their eyes adjusted to low light conditions underwater because you know barely any light goes down there and any other ones on the bottom of the you know ocean floor would use echolocation or bioluminescence yep and so I like the idea that their eyes are adjusted to underwater uh, the underwater depths although I don't know why the goggles are there I'd also assume that they don't prune as easily in the water. Uh, you know, they get pruny. Uh, they look kind of pruny. They look a little bit. That's, I don't that's, know that's they weird. Like. They shouldn't be <laughs> pruny. Also, another thing, they probably shouldn't be out. Thinking about this more, they probably shouldn't be up in the. Well, I guess never mind. They actually, yeah, no, subtly explain that they shouldn't always be up in the water or up on land. On land, yeah, they're barely on there uh, because they might freeze. Not freeze, but they might get hypothermia. I believe. Almost every time we see them, they're going back into the water. They're just up there briefly. Or heat stroke, excuse me, because their yeah. bodies would probably be designed to be well, uh, do well in you know water conditions and. Yeah, maybe when she takes off the goggles, it gets so disoriented that it like just passes out. But I do. You know, the idea like. is, it's kind of like Riddick, where too much UV basically, mm, yeah, strobed and whatnot. Uh, Aquaman and Namor, I believe, have similar powers to that, although. Uh, I prefer Aquaman having a magical ability of that where it just adjusts if he's on land and then adjusts when he's in the sea. Whereas, I'd like it if Namor, yeah, you probably won't like this, but I'd like <laughs> it if Namor did have his eyes blackened from the depths and then he would have to wear some form of goggles on land, but I'm pretty sure that'd just be very goofy looking. It would look goofy, yeah. So you can't obviously do that, but it just... Or he only comes out at night. Yeah, Namor, as much as I love Namor already, he's a little goofy looking with his very particular haircut and his little wings on his feet. Now, don't you I like... I love all that. I thought you <laughs> liked the, um... I like him in that suit, that jumpsuit or that blue jumpsuit. Yeah, he, he wears lots of different jumpsuits, but some of them can look pretty ridiculous too. I like the blue V-neck jump, not you know, V-neck, but like the, the blue yeah, kind of V jumpsuit is probably the best, I'd the, say. Like the little shoulder points. I think that one could be, I think if they ever have him in the MCU, they probably would, that'd, that'd be the look maybe. That'd be cool. But anyways. But so Keith makes it to the hotel as well and notices the zombie that Rose put down earlier. And now it's starting to look like it's decomposing. I think there was like some maggots or something crawling out of its face, which is kind of gross. Maybe. Also, uh, let's check off gun-ish. Maybe. Which one? Or at least he notices. Keith notices the. Um, oh the zombie. yeah, yeah. Noticing the lack of uh, goggles. Yep. Uh, but Chuck and Bev get there as well after briefly coming across Norman's corpse. Oh, and he climbs a tree. Chuck climbs a tree. Yeah, Chuck climbs another tree there when he's trying to look. But for I the... think there's too much bush for him to see over. Yeah. So, but whatever. Uh, so the group, they set up camp down in the kitchen, locking themselves away in that fridge we saw earlier. And Beverly, you know, she's looking pretty depressed. She didn't have a huge reaction to Norman's corpse earlier, but now she's looking a little bit... Yeah, uh, I also, I don't know if you noticed that he had, like, maybe blood on his forehead or something on his forehead. Oh, uh, I Norman could be did. wrong on that. Oh, uh, I, don't, I don't think I noticed. Oh, Norman, I don't, I don't know. I thought, like, maybe that was just me where I was seeing things. Yeah, and during this scene, Chuck, you know, he starts to show some well, signs. Well, first off, Chuck's not even in the refrigerator. Yeah, he's hanging out away from the refrigerator. Yeah, uh, Keith has to go find him and whatnot. And he's looking pretty uncomfortable with the whole idea of hiding in the fridge. But the group, they tuck themselves away anyway. But very quickly, Chuck, you know, he's standing in the corner, he's pouring sweat. You know, he's not looking uh, good. He's having a day. He's, he's a waterfall at this point. 
And up in the hotel, the zombies, they're just going absolutely apeshit at this point. They're smashing mirrors, they're kicking everything around. They're like trying they're, to look for them, basically. Either that or they're just having like some sort of weird attack. Like They're not happy. Maybe they saw that one guy with his glasses off and they're pissed. Perhaps. Uh, and Chuck, back in the refrigerator, is really flipping his shit at this point. He's, he's really showing some signs of claustrophobia. And he ends up pulling out the flare gun and demands that they let him out right away. Uh, he tries to take the flashlight on his way out the door, and Keith slams the door on his hand, and he fires the flare gun off. The place fills with smoke, everyone pouring out, um... White phosphorus. Yeah, white phosphorus, there you go. Uh, Chucky takes the flashlight and pisses off, and poor Beverly gets blinded. Uh, Keith and Rose run off together, but she gets left behind. Unfortunately. But Chuck gets out of the hotel and ends up falling into the pool, because of course if we're going to get a destiny it has to be in water. Also, very, like, surprised there's still water in that. I thought it would be a little more murky. It actually looks like they filled it halfway <laughs> yeah, it <looks> recently, <laughs> but, you know, don't, don't, you know, don't, maybe, think, it, don't maybe, think it, don't say it. Maybe Peter Cushing was doing some maintenance around, you know? Maybe he likes to go for a swim, perhaps. Uh, but this is another really cool death scene, I thought. Um, first, he tries to escape going up that little incline, but there's a zombie standing there. Uh, and he swims to the other end and gets, the, and gets cornered as well by another zombie. Goes up the ladder... Yeah, tries to climb up the ladder, but another one shows up and kicks him down again. I like that scene. It was pretty, it was pretty nice. Yeah, I like that one quite a bit. And ultimately, he gets something wrapped around his neck, and they pull him down again. Yeah, he gets a strap wrapped around his neck, and then I noted that these, the the not the soldier waited, like, I think three seconds or something like that for the actor to get his breath ready and whatnot as they went under. Yeah, I like how they kind of uh, do those. They do that with Norman's death, too, where they kind of linger on the water as it sort of starts to settle. Uh, I mean, like, before they went underwater, he holds his breath, and then yeah, goes yeah. under. Sorry. I just mean for, so that they could hold the shot like that. But, yeah, another, another cool death scene. One of the better ones. I'm not sure which one's my favorite. I mean, the Peter Cushing one was kind of a, a cool surprise, that he just... It was expected. <laughs> just you hanging think? down in that puddle, but... I gotta say, when it comes to the score as well, when and then the deaths, there's not many, like, sharp, um, jump scare moments, in a way. No, it's all kind of subtle, just kind of ominous music. Yeah, I, I like that a lot about the score uh, yeah. and how just subtle it was, and you know the themes. This, you know, the, the soldiers have their theme. Uh, and the didn't really movie, it's think... kind of a mood piece. I think the floor, the score really helps that, which is nice. I gotta say as well, when Rose first sees uh, D- uh, D- Dubs, D- Dubs, uh, Dobbs, Dobbs. Thank you. Uh, his and and she screams. I was actually surprised. He's very like non-effeminate scream or whatnot, or it's not as over the top as I thought it would be. Yeah, that, that's fair. It doesn't sound like just like a typical movie scream. Yeah. It doesn't sound it's so not like she practiced. actually reacted. Yeah. Um, surprising. Unless she wasn't told that, I have no idea. Yeah, and again, I don't think she had much of a career, but she was really good in um, Invasion of the Body Snatch. I thought she was really naturalistic in that film. It was kind of too bad she didn't really go anywhere, but... But so, down in the fridge, Beverly, she's still off on her own, sadly. I'd hate to be on my own in a situation like this. And blinded as well. Yeah, and her eyes are fucked up by the flare. Uh, but in the morning, she tries to leave anyway, and the door moves behind her. Uh, she takes a, a stab at defending herself, and the knife uh, just collides with the door. It doesn't really do anything. Uh, but the door keeps moving, and we see a zombie behind it with no goggles on. So, no goggles the on. same one from that Rose took out? Yeah, that was that was my question. I it must have been the same one because we didn't see them pull off the goggles for anyone else. So, and how did he get there as well? Was my question. 
maybe he like pulled himself into the pool and regenerated. Oh, I also gotta <laughs> I say another thing is it's definitely confusing. So they so the passengers hide inside that big freezer, basically the refrigerator. Excuse me. Yep. How the f- when they were making all that noise did they not hear them? That is my question. Like, what in the hell? I mean, I know I'm not. This is not the alien where or the xenomorph where it hasn't enhanced senses or enhanced hearing. Really. Yeah. Um. And it also begs the question again, bringing their physiology and their condition. Wouldn't their hearing be a little more better or something like that if they're underwater since everything is muted under there? So either they're using echolocation or they just have very sensitive hearing. Uh, I I really don't know. I don't know. I, I, mean, I shouldn't point that out, but I, I just wonder. Again, if you're thinking the idea of, well, they're underwater, so they have to be able to hear clearly. Yeah, and like I said, they were flipping their shit too. They're smashing stuff around, so maybe they wouldn't have heard. I, mean, I just assumed they were looking for them. I honestly just assumed they were looking for them, and they would have gotten caught. But surprisingly, they didn't. That's yeah, maybe maybe weird. sealed in. Maybe the sound kind of gets a little muffled in there. I don't. I don't know. I that that's not the case when the flare was fired and all the noise was being made. Yeah, they should have heard that. Yeah, part whatever. Whatever. Moving on. So uh, Keith and Rose hit out in the boiler for the night. And they come crawling out covered in soot, and down in the kitchen. Oh, that 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 boiler as well. They are lucky that <laughs> there was that little like opening, uh, little exhaust port. I'm not somewhere. Yeah, but, like that little like they throw the coal in or whatever. Yeah, the op- little opening that was able to unlatch the door. Like good grief, they were safe. Made me think of uh, Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> the scene. <laughs> he, I think he finds like some bones or something in there. I don't really, I don't even remember this. Oh yeah, I remember now. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's the memory he has, but it's not really yeah, his memory. Yeah. Spoilers for three year old. Spoilers, movie. yeah. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering, were they getting like? Do you think they got up to anything in there tonight? I mean, it must have been pretty intimate. Uh, kind of. I space, don't know. So. This is like you said. This is not a character piece <laughs> and whatnot. I know it's the seventies and whatnot, but there didn't seem to be any hanky panky going along <laughs> That's or with anybody. The, literally, the like most not controversial, but like. The most we see of this movie, or the most lewd part we see of this movie, is Rosen in her bikini. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, we, we get some choice shots of her swimming around. Oh, maybe, bikini. sorry, maybe Keith in his underwear as well. Sorry, I forgot Oh, of course, that. yeah. My apologies. I like when he, uh, there's that, like, broken this. piece of stick, and he lifts it up and it's pointing right at where his dick would be. Ooh. I don't know if you noticed that little. I did not know. <laughs> I was like, ooh, that's a little suggestive. Probably just a little, uh, improvisation from the actor. Uh, so they head down to the kitchen, um, seeing if Beverly's still alive, and of course they find her in the fish tank here. She's been tanked. As we mentioned a couple times already. <laughs> I'm surprised her head was not where those... Uh, they weren't even seeing urchins, I think they were seeing enemies. Yeah, I think they pulled all that stuff out, but maybe maybe the seeing enemies like moved down to her, her feet or something. Well, I thought they were near her feet anyways, but... Yeah. But like I... You know, the zombies, they love killing people in water, so they just... The filmmakers gotta get as much use of that as they can. Yeah, I don't think a single death happens outside of the water. Nope. Yeah. Nope. That's why I'm questioning why this was rated R. Yeah. Well. Well. Yeah. I mean, maybe the Dobbs death would be enough to make. Even the then, there wasn't any like, blood. Hey, hey, hey. There barely was any blood on him. That's true. When he like got poked. Uh, so anyway, the two decide you know it's time to just get the fuck out of here, and they they run back to the original rowboat. Dingy. Dingy. There you go. And as Keith is rowing away, another zombie shows up and pulls him under the water. There's some awkward edits here. As Keith oh yeah, <laughs> when he throw, when he like tries to smash the yeah, row against some, him. Some very noticeable edits as Keith oh, fights or, him off in the, the oar. 
or I think I said orth. <laughs> I um, said row for some reason. The or. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Keith he manages to yank off one of the goggles, and immediately the zombie jumps into the water. Like, oh fuck! I gotta get back under here. Oh, uh, then he goes on land, doesn't he? Yeah, I think it goes back to the land yet. Yeah, it just stumbles around, confused. Yep. Falls down. And we'll uh, he'll be the, he'll wake up later. <laughs> yeah. He'll just roll into the water and be okay later. And Keith jumps into the boat, and they like, oh, maybe we're going to escape together. Maybe that ending actually didn't happen. But last zombie shows up and yanks Keith off. Oh, he doesn't even just yank him. He German suplexes him into the water yeah, like a boss. Down. And when he's under there, apparently he wraps a rope around his neck for some reason. Or, I'm not sure why. <laughs> oh, yeah, there was a rope there. I thought he just, like... Yeah, because we get another little peek through the looky-loo peeping window, and we see Keith strung up underneath. Who the looks like oh. Nicolas Cage? Yeah, I guess he kind of. And I like guess Nicolas Con Cage Air there. was it? I guess I don't know. We whatever movie he had long hair and a yeah. beard and it was blonde. Con Air or uh, Raising Arizona. There you go. Like that too. Yeah, and so uh, Rose does her little scream to the sky thing again that she did with Dobbs's death, no. <laughs> pulling the Mel Gibson uh, routine. And then we, we get Rose's voiceover coming back in, and we realize that all this time has actually been her writing down her account in gibberish, it seemed like. Not even gibberish, she's just like, <laughs> first off, left-handed as well. Yeah, left-handed. <laughs> and she's gone insane, basically, like she yeah. is, which makes sense. Or at least just, like, kind of shell-shocked from her that, you know, trauma. PTSD all yeah. the way. Um, we get one more shot of the wreck on the water with the sun kind of bathing it again as the score kind of creeps in one last time uh, and I think that's a great final shot I really yep. appreciate that and that's how the film comes to a close final thoughts I mean I appreciate this every time I go back again I'm a huge fan of films centered around water and this I mean it was certainly much more subtle than I was expecting it when I was watching it it didn't do a lot of it didn't fall into a lot of trappings that other zombie movies tend to do I feel like some of these guys were a little more, or the protagonists were a little more intelligent than some of the other ones were, perhaps. They weren't sexed up, I'll say that. Oh, yeah, and that, and again, that's one of the reasons I was kind of disappointed when I first watched it. Because I was a big fan, um, when I was a teenager, of the Dead Snow films. Mainly the first one, if you ever heard of those. Those are a Swedish, or actually I think it maybe it's Norwegian, zombie franchise about Nazi zombies, and it's so gory and over-the-top, and I watched this film kind of hoping it'd be in that way, too. I mean, as it says on the cover here, the best of the Nazi zombie movies. And so I was kind of like, eh, they're not really zombies, really. Man, I was, I was kind of let down, but every time I go back, I just... I love the mood of the film, I love the score. So, why is this called Shockwaves, by the way? Uh, I actually <laughs> don't like that title. <laughs> Yeah. Or at least That's it just fair. seems misleading because, like, we see a shockwave, which is what kind of awakens the zombies, but from where? Yeah, that's fair. It's not a super fitting title. I, yeah, I don't like that. That's one thing I'm not feeling. I'm not. I'm not feeling the title of the film. Like, just, what do you think about that? The poster. That's a great. It's poster. a po great poster, but I don't know. Actually, never mind. No, but just that's a great <laughs> poster. Yeah, I really like that. It'd be funny if they were actually, like, giant, like, kaijus. Like, I thought that, too, and I'm like, well, this is gonna be a weird movie. <laughs> they pull apart the boat. <laughs> but but yeah. that's, that's something that horror tends to do. Uh, horror posters tend to, tend to yeah, use that's that true. image. Um, but I kind of am actually with you, surprisingly. Or your, at least your fir your initial thoughts. Uh, or, your, sorry, your, your first viewing. Mm -hmm. is just kind of disappointed me. 
Hmm. Even though it wasn't built up for me, I just... I, I, I respect it. I enjoy it for its subtlety, but... This is a very light, I'm not feeling it. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely a mood piece type of film. Yeah. It's one that you kind of have to be in the mood to sit down and kind of... Oh, certainly. It's not a bad film, don't get me wrong. Mm. I just... I, there's, I'm just not feeling it. Well, that's fair. I don't know why. Um, I give it high praise, though, for what it does. <laughs> Um, Can you kind of see why I thought maybe it wouldn't make a great commentary? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) It would just literally just be me reacting all the time. Yeah. Don't do that. What's going on here? Also, I couldn't help help but think of Alien uh, the whole time as well. Yeah, that's another kind of mood piece horror film. A lot of subtlety, just a lot of... uh, Waiting for something to happen. Yeah, but the the whole ship itself is what gets me... Uh, involved a little more because it's a very, very, very atmospheric. A very, yes. Whereas this sort of felt a little atmospheric, but the unnatural nature of the ship was what made me go, oh boy, this is... Yeah, beautiful this design. Tense. But I, I adore the, the setting. I love, yeah. again, so much water in this film. I, I love looking at it. I like some of the... that forest where it's kind of skeletal looking. I think it's really cool. Yeah, the characters aren't very interesting at all. I don't really like. They don't them. exist. They're yeah. just here to yeah, be killed and whatnot. I enjoy the. I what I did enjoy. What I t- take took from the film. I guess you think we should go best thing, worst thing. Sure. Why not? Like then, okay, so best thing. Uh, I love the. I. This is bad, but I want to steal. I'm going to steal this idea. Uh, I want to take the zombie <laughs> Nazis and yeah. use them in other media. I like that idea a lot. So that was that was I think that's just untapped potential for stuff. I don't even know if like any other film uses this after that or any other media uses this after that. Worst thing uh, is the explanation of where they came from, of how they rose from the water. Yeah, with just uh, the ship kind of going over their resting place and pretty much that disturbing them. Like the they 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 stepped on the or they they went over the pressure pad that awakens them the plot pressure pad excuse me that awakens them yeah it makes me wonder if they change directions at a certain point because it almost feels like a ghost story early on yeah pretty much the eh? ship rising from the grave kind of thing and then ah yeah they definitely drop that pretty quickly yeah now what's your best thing sir wow it's got to be all the underwater photography absolutely i just i love all that stuff very well made very well shot especially that early shot early sequence of shots with the zombie kind of walking on the underwater structure. Oh yeah, structure. that was really fun. That was a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, I, I love all that stuff. Worst thing? Maybe just the lack of interesting characters. That's fair. I like Peter Cushing, but more as the actor than the character. I love John Carradine and anything he's in. That's fair. I just think he's got such a personality in his face. I think those two deliveries. were the ones that had personality. Even even Norman had a personality. Yeah, he was fun. The actors brought more to it than the writing of the characters did. There really wasn't much the characters... But I think there's such a great mood to the film, and I love the score, too. So I think those kind of things just carry you past kind of the bland characters. Alien has really naturalistic performances, which oh, kind yeah. of make the characters feel like real people more. Yes. Which also really helps that film. But mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I'm not going to say it's in any way like a great written film, but I just think the kind of mood and atmosphere is what really carries this one for me. That's fair. And also, I love anything related to water, so... <laughs> Another thing that I found out about, not found out, but what I thought of this film, Charles Dance could play a great Peter Cushing lookalike, 
And then you mentioned he should have been... Oh, yeah. He should have been Grand Marf Tarkin in Rogue One. Yeah, that would have been nice. I mean, rather than the CGI creature that they created. Uh... <laughs> and that's fair. I'll agree with that. I, I think everybody would have been very apprehensive about that. But, I mean, what else do you do? I think maybe people would have been apprehensive before they saw it, but then they would have been like, oh, Charles Dance, he's got such a great presence on screen. Yeah, it man. Been and he does, and you could also put makeup on to make him look more like uh, Cushing, I think. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I think. Wonder You can do wonders with makeup still. And of course, or they would have maybe, like, could have done CG on his face. Uh, maybe, I have no idea. And of course, Charles Dance, one of my favorite parts of Alien 3. It's always oh, yes, sad that he right. died so early. <laughs> See, just like me with Cushing here. Well, that's fair. Uh, but I think one big, the big revelation here that I realized. Yep. To go back to Star Wars, these Toten soldiers are just the Knights of Ren. Oh. That's my. That's my outline. You know how they do the outlines or whatnot, or not outlines? What like? What did you think of this movie? That's yeah. my. That's my. That's uh, that's my par- or that's my summary of this movie. The Knights. The, the totem knights are just the, or the totem soldiers are just the knights of Ren, because we get no other explanation. That's actually not true. We get a lot of explanation <laughs> from them, so the more explanation. Yeah, these are in, um, these are more characters than the knights of Ren. Absolutely, but they just reminded me of the knights of Ren. I don't know why. I still remember in that episode nine, ghouls. That's the only thing they say about them the whole movie. It's, what a piece of crap. <laughs> I'll have to go back to that. But Ugh. what's your what's your summary of this, Caleb? What did you think of this movie? Uh, if you love films surrounded by water and have good atmosphere, uh, I mean, that's this film. I mean, that's that's really my whole package for this flick. So that's how we felt about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I was going to mention one more thing. John Carradine was also in a great little film called Bluebeard. So if anyone's interested in another John Carradine film, definitely check that out. He plays like a weird artist who, I guess I shouldn't spoil it, but he's, he's really good in that flick, I should just say. <laughs> that's all I'll say of that. But anyway, yeah, I mean, we got one more film on my little uh, sea shanties of horror here. I guess I'll spoil it. The Lighthouse. Yes. Which is what yes. really inspired me to put this together. I recently rewatched that film, and I was like, you know, maybe I should put together something for Halloween. Centered around my love for films set around water. So we're going to watch that one next. Uh, I don't know if we're going to watch it today. It's kind of late, but... <laughs> uh, but anyway. <laughs> we'll see if we'll do it on Halloween night. I don't think so, because that's gonna be a mess yeah we'll see because it's saturday night it's a full moon and it's a time change i'm not gonna leave my house that day yeah that's you gotta watch out the werewolves i mean no i'm literally just probably gonna like (laughs) handcuff myself to the bed i'm not not leave whatsoever (laughs) no i'm not superstitious at all i don't (laughs) oh no it's not i'm not superstitious i just don't want to be involved in anything that day (laughs) that that sounds like i just don't want to exist that day sounds like superstition it's just I don't want to I really don't want to give a rip about what anybody's doing outside that day that's fair Satanists worse teenagers is that the night when they all go like in a frenzy it's Saturday night full moon and time change what do you think they're going to be doing at 2 o'clock which is when drinking the time change goes ahead of everything probably having unprotected sex even worse than that killing each other even worse than that uh, what is it? What was worse than that? Tune in next weekend, or to find out. Tune yes. in, uh, yeah. Tune in between two a.m. and three o'clock <laughs> next week, next Saturday night, to find out. The lighthouse will show us what's worse than that. 
We already pre-watched it. I'll spoil that so we both know what's worse than that. But Spoilers, I liked it more than this. Fair enough. That's fair. I don't know if I do. But anyway, we're just dragging this on. So, <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it, guys. Uh, hope this experiment uh, went okay so we can cover some more films that wouldn't make good commentaries. Uh, any last words? If you and your family win a trip on some getaway cruise, even though now it it's highly unlikely since cruise ships are closed. Or a small, or you're on a small little boat somewhere that's breaking down. What do you do? Don't Mutiny. go near the island. Get on your dinghy and go to the nearest port. Mutiny. You, well, I mean, <laughs> I don't think that works because <laughs> the sea karma will come after you. The white caps will get you as well. Uh, and if you find that you're with Nazi soldiers, whoa, whoa, join them. Maybe I don't know. Whoa, what the. I'm surprised that they didn't conquer the world. That's the other thing. Like, oh, just my God. There. oh my god, I gotta get this part out. <laughs> but anyway, everybody, uh, uh, have a good night. <laughs> I don't know how to end this. I'm a little drunk. A little, sure. Yeah, I did have quite a few glasses of wine, but anyway, now I'm just dragging this on. Peace. Okay, I, I had so many ideas come from this movie. Thank you for showing me that because that was it was awesome. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Wow. Yeah, no, like, I just I don't know why I just all of a sudden like had so many ideas after watching it. Sure. I don't know if I'll mention a few, but are you okay with in media's res? Yeah, I like that. So what would this be called? I mean, basically, it starts at the end. All right, hang on, I'm gonna look that up. <laughs> sure. Talking. What the. F- Oh what? There's a there's a band called In Medias Res that formed here. In BC. What the? F- here you go, our brother. Oh sh- Now I'm gonna obviously. Uh, band's original tra- uh, uh, 2011. After forming in 1999. Support I, our. I gotta. BC wow. Jeez. I, I gotta. <laughs> I gotta look these guys up now. They're still they're still around, I guess. What the? Okay. Wow. You learn something new every day. Yep. You look fine in that. I can't find it. Like I just... <laughs> well, maybe there's not a name for it. There's gotta be something as well. <laughs> and nope. I was wrong. I was mistaken. Didn't find it or there is? No I don't think there is a term where they start in the end.